I want to call up. We got Pastor Michael Quinlan is back in town, and uh, he's going to be delivering the word of the Lord today. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much. Good morning. Happy Canada Day weekend. All the time. And all the time, God is good. That is his nature. So Canada is the largest country in the Western Hemisphere. It's second only in the world to Russia, but way better. It only has one neighbor, being the United States, bordering on two different places, Alaska and then obviously our Southern Hemisphere. We have the longest coastline in the world of 202,000 kilometers. Three Canadian islands are in the top 10 largest islands in the world. The Baffin Islands are more than double Great Britain. Victoria Island and Ellesmere Island are both roughly the same size as England, all Canadian islands. More than half of all of the lakes in the world are in Canada. The country boasts more than 3 million lakes and 31,700 big lakes, which are lakes that have an area greater than 300 hectares. We also have two of the biggest lakes in the world being Great Bear Lake and Great Slave Lake. Nine out of 10 Canadians live on the US-Canadian border, as we all understand here in Windsor, Ontario. Jasper National Park in the Rocky Mountains is so large, it spans over several vegetation zones, meaning there is different vegetation climates, several of them all in one place. Uh, what's some other cool ones I wanted to tell you about? We boast what most people believe is the longest highway in the world, being the Trans-Canadian Highway. Trans-Canada Highway, or as I call it up in Sault Ste. Marie, 17. <laughs> The literacy rate in Canada is 99%, which is one of the highest in the world. We have one of the lowest uh, levels of people who cannot read or write in the whole world. Uh, when I was, a couple weeks ago, I was in England. Uh, a lot of you know that I work with the, the Canadian forces, and I was asked to go to England to celebrate their 80th Battle of the Atlantic. And so we had... Uh, uh, Contingents, marching contingents from multiple countries. The, the French were there, uh, the Germans were there, which was confusing to me, because I think they lost. Uh, but they were there, uh, the Dutch was there, obviously the British were there. Uh, and uh, we, would, we all marched together and they had each of our units, or each of our countries would march separate. So the British were first, sorry, the uh, Dutch uh, band marched first, marched everybody in. And then the British uh, officers marched behind. And then the Canadians marched behind the British, and there was thousands of people who had come into Liverpool. They actually had some of the last remaining uh, veterans of the Battle of the Atlantic that were there. Uh, Princess Anne was also there. She was the part of the monarchy of the event. And uh, it was one of the coolest things. I was asked to go march, so what they actually did is they sent 25 Navy members from Navy Reserve 
Uh, there's 24 Navy Reserve, and then we have our headquarters, so there's 25. They sent one person from each Naval Reserve to England to march uh, in recognition of the Battle of the Atlantic because the Battle of the Atlantic was mostly fought by, uh, the, well, obviously the navies, but the Navy Reserve really was what helped win the war of the Battle of the Atlantic. And uh, I remember it was very cool because really when you look at all of these people in uniforms, you don't really know who's who. It's not like uh, when you watch the football league and they all have a big, you know, maple leaf on the front or, or uh, a country. So all they really see is a whole bunch of uniforms. But we have a very small little word on the shoulder that says Canada. And I was in the very front column. And so the British, so the Dutch were marching first. And everybody's, there's the Dutch, right? And then, and then <laughs> now I'm just saying what they did. We don't have to do it. Unless you love the Dutch. And then the, the, the British are going, they're like, oh, there's the British. And then I remember we were marching, and I remember all of a sudden I heard three people on the side. There's thousands of people through the streets of Liverpool all lined up all the way. Uh, it was like a kilometer marching thing, and halfway through, we all did our eyes left, and there's all of the veterans and the Commodores from every country. And we did the salute and marched by them. But I remember there was all of a sudden a lady went, oh, look, it's Canada. And then all of these people started like, oh, the Canadians are here. And everybody started clapping. And I remember, yeah, <laughs> praise God. I remember thinking to myself, you know, all of these Europeans, they see each other all the time. But the Canadians, we crossed the Atlantic to come over and help fight, you know, for our heritage, uh, you know, being the monarchy of England and, and the, the, the Western allies. And I remember being very proud uh, to be a Canadian in that moment. I also remember uh, I spent, uh, I lived in Germany for a year and I spent a few weeks in Amsterdam in Holland, I was visiting the Netherlands, and I remember someone said to me, make sure you put a Canadian flag on your backpack because the Dutch love Canadians. Uh, if you don't know what happened in World War II is that Princess Juliana, the Dutch princess, left Netherlands when they were being invaded by the Germans, and she came to Ottawa. And we gave her housing in Ottawa, and uh, actually she ended up birthing Princess Marguerite, who was born in Ottawa, the Dutch princess. And uh, so every year, and then actually when we liberated it back in 1943, when we liberated it then, uh, Canadians were one of the largest forces that uh, delivered uh, the Dutch from the um, uh, Nazis at that time. And uh, so every year, the Dutch send 10,000 tulips from Netherlands to Canada, to Ottawa, and they place them both in the, uh, the uh, they actually place them at Ottawa Hospital, where Princess Marguerite was born, and then they also send them to the, um, the, Dutch, uh, the Dutch monarchy uh, flower beds that we actually have full-time in Ottawa. So anyways, I, I got to see that. So, you know, I just say all that to say that, uh, you know, there's been times where people are very critical, and I've lived in multiple countries, I've traveled all over the world, and I don't want to live anywhere else other than this country. And so, you know, I think that we are allowed, which is really nice, is that we have the freedom to criticize things when we don't like them. In a lot of countries, you're not allowed to criticize. And so we have the freedom to criticize. So I'm a very proud member of, of the Canadian Forces. I'm proud to live here, and I'm proud to go around the country and tell people, uh, no, I'm not American, I'm Canadian. And they go, oh, Canadian. And uh, <laughs> whenever you're traveling. And so, uh, you know, we just want to wish you a very happy Canada weekend. We, uh, I'm happy we were able to pray for Canada and give Thanksgiving. It's not a perfect country, and it's full of people who are not perfect. 
but uh, thank God we know that God loves Canada and uh, the Bible, and we also, we love Israel and we're an ally and uh, the Bible says that when you bless Israel, he will bless those and so we continue to pray for Israel and we continue to pray for our country to support them and uh, we know that God blesses us um, and that there's something about people who stand in the gap for their country and praise God that we continue to stand in the gap for Canada. So I'll put that one aside. And we're going to get into the message. I want to talk today about something that uh, I've seen over the years, and I don't actually see it too much here, but I think that it's something that we need to talk about so that way when we know about it, we can understand it. So I'm going to get right into the Word with me if you'll turn into 2 Timothy 3, uh, verses 1 through 5, and I'm just going to read them here, and you guys can follow along. 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. So understand this. Paul is writing to Timothy Understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, they'll be proud, they'll be arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sin, led astray by various passions, always learning but never being able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, those were the, uh, the, um, the wise uh, sorcerers that uh, Pharaoh had competing with Moses with the snakes. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind, disqualified regarding their faith, but they will not get far. For their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. So today I want to be talking about counterfeits and counterfeit Christianity. What is a counterfeit? The definition of the adjective counterfeit is made in the imitation so as to be passed off fraudulently or deceptively as a genuine. Um, when we brought our team over to Uganda a few months ago, I, uh, I had to give everybody uh, instructions on what to pack when they got there. And uh, everybody's reading it, you know, it's like, oh, sun lotion, obviously, bug spray, sure, you know, lots of toilet paper, obviously, you know, all that kind of fun stuff, right? You know, all of the different things that you want to pack. And, and uh, one of the things that I wrote is, if you're going to bring money, don't bring Canadian money, because in Uganda, they're not going to exchange it very good going to bring American money. But don't just bring American money. Bring 50s and 100s. Don't bring 20s or 10s or 5s. And don't just bring 50s or 100s, but make sure that the 50s and 100s you bring are 2013 or newer. And don't only bring 50s and 100s of American bills that are 2013 and newer, but make sure that they're not bent or they're not folded or they're not ripped or they don't have a writing on them or they don't have a highlighter. Or there's nothing on them. They have to be perfect. They have to smell like the paper from which they were printed on. And you might be like, well, Mike, you're really going over the top here on your travel arranging. But what's funny is that when you go over there and you want to exchange your money, it says, this is our exchange rate for U.S. bills. This is our exchange rate for small bills. And if it's below 2013, they won't even exchange it. If it's written or ripped, they won't exchange it. If it's a 5 or a 10, you're going to make 50% 
or 60% of the money that you would have made if it was a 50 or a 100. Now, for us in Canada, that makes no sense. A 5 is a 5 is a 5 is a 5. A 10 is a 10 is a 10 is a 10. But over there, a 5 is not a 5. A 5 is a 250. A 50 is a 50, but a 5 is a 250. Why? Because they have such a high level of counterfeit money that circulates through Africa, and that 50s and 100s, newer than 2013, are the hardest bills to counterfeit, what they basically do is say, we will give you the exchange rate on the things we know to be genuine, but on the things that we don't know to be genuine, we will devalue. And what happens is, is that even though the $5 to me is still $5, they don't know that it's actually worth $5, so they devalue it to either zero or significantly less than what it is. You understand that when we as Christians don't know what genuine Christians and counterfeit Christians look like, when the world doesn't know what a true Christian and a counterfeit Christian looks like, they apply a devaluing exchange rate on every single Christian that they meet because they don't really know what's genuine. But what we don't do is we don't study the counterfeits. The Bible tells us that we need to study the genuine. When they look at counterfeits, they don't look at, they don't study all of the different types of fakes. They only study that which is true and apply that study to everything else. And that is really what I think that as, as, as followers of Christ today, we know what is fake based on the level that we know what is to be true. And the truest form and example that we have is Christ Jesus. So when we put everything through the word of God and through the filter that is Jesus, it's very easy for us to see what is a fake and what is a counterfeit. Now I want to give a little asterisk here about this. Counterfeits do not mean people who blow it. <laughs> You're not a counterfeit Christian because you've got a couple ripped edges. You're not a counterfeit Christian because you've got some little highlighters and you've been crumpled up in a couple backpacks, okay? If I take a $100 bill from the bank and I squish it up and I put some tape on it and I write my initials and I bring it back, it's still worth $100. But if I print something that is not a true $100 bill, that is not true value, that is a fake. And the Bible tells us that there are, you know, we know that we have been, we've been covered in the righteousness of Christ Jesus, but we also know that there are people and there are things that are purposefully not Christian, but they, uh, they are a, a counterfeit version of it. And if we don't call it out when we don't see it, what happens is it's going to start devaluing the genuine Christians that are among us here in this church today. Are you with me? Praise God. So the church today is full of followers of Christ, but within pews of churches around the world, there are counterfeit Christians. Well, why would counterfeit Christians exist? For different reasons. My biggest three reasons that I've written down, first one is to commit fraud, flat out. My second one is in the practice and effort of a works-based religion. My third one is to feel good. You ever been to a church service and you left and you felt good? All the time. Feels great. Feels good. I feel encouraged. I feel good. But is that really what Christianity is, is just to feel good? So my first one I want to talk to is the people who commit fraud. You know, the Bible talks about them and calls them swindlers. Swindlers in the church, these people are not Christians in the slightest. These are people who try to 
gain trust within the congregation, within the sheep, within the flocks, under the guise as being a Christian, it, they are completely apathetic to the health and growth of the church. That's a big one. They are apathetic to the health and growth of the church. They're only there to see what they can get out of people that they're around. Uh, they're apathetic to having a relationship with God. They're apathetic to being involved in any type of serving, unless it's going to serve them. And they are usually driven with a goal of stealing money and or attaining some type of business influence and connections. As pastors, the Bible tells us that we treat these people as wolves. You know, pastor, uh, it, it comes from a word from pastures. It comes from the word of shepherding. You know, in, in, uh, in Uganda, in the Luganda, in the Luganda region, they don't actually have a word for pastor. The word is for shepherd. So a shepherd and a pastor is the same word. And the thing about shepherds is that they watch out for sheep. They take care of sheep. They identify sheep when they're sick. But the other thing shepherds do is they beat the tar out of the things that come in and try to destroy the sheep. Are you with me? That is an act of love for the sheep. You might say, oh, that's not, he wasn't very nice to that person. Well, that person is coming to destroy the flock. And the Bible talks about that there are certain people, 1 Corinthians 5 even talks about that the people who are perpetually living as wolves, yet calling themselves as Christians, it says, don't even eat with them. Well, you might say, well, Jesus ate with all types of people, but he didn't eat with people who called themselves Christians and lived like the devil. He lived, he, he ate with people who didn't know who he was, didn't know who God was, and didn't know anything else. He ate with the, they ate with the prostitutes and the tax collectors, but he didn't spend a lot of time eating with the Pharisees that he called broods of vipers. Are you with me, church? 1 Corinthians 5 tells us not even to eat them. What happened when he walked in? It says that Christ flipped the tables of the money changers who were operating in the church. Was it because that they were exchanging money in the church? No. It wasn't because they were exchanging money. It was because they were ripping people off. The money exchanging was being ripped off. I've heard people say before, you shouldn't put in an ATM into a church because Christ threw that out of the building. And I'm like, man, you need to read the Bible a little bit harder because it tells us that constantly money exchangers were using weighted scales to rip people off. Why does it say that? It doesn't say you turned my, my house into a den of business people. It says you turned my house into a den of thieves. It wasn't about the exchanging of money. It was about the outright corruption that was happening inside of the church. And it says that he picked up a whip and whipped them out. In Matthew 7, 15, what does it say? It says, beware of the false prophets who come as sheep. However, they are inwardly ravenous wolves. How do you judge them? You judge them by the fruit. It goes on to say, does grapes come from thorn brushes? No. I heard one time, I heard a really good interview. They asked the guy, they said, how, how do you know what is a false prophet and a false teacher versus someone who just made a mistake? Listen, there's, there's messages I've preached years ago that I look back at and I go, I don't really think, <laughs> I agree everything I wrote in this back in those days. I think there's a couple things that I've learned that I don't really agree with. Now, does that mean that on that day, I was a false prophet? No. 
And I remember asking, asking, or not asking, I was watching an interview, and the man asked a question. He, he was asking, I think it might have been A.W. Tozer or R.C. Sproul he was asking. It was a very smart theologian. He said to him, how do you know the difference between a false prophet and a pastor or a teacher who just made a mistake? And he said, the fruit of humility. Because when we say something that's wrong, we will change it. And we will go and study it and be like, you know what? I was wrong here, and I have to not preach that anymore. But if you double down on something which you know to be, which is known to be false, and no, now I'm not talking about just doctrinal disagreements. We're always going to have some different levels of doctrinal disagreements. But when a person says something that is flat-out heresy and basically says that's the way it is because that's the way it is, that's when you start going towards, I don't think this person has the fruit of humility, has the fruits of the Spirit. You shall know them by their fruits. Well, what is the swindler? The fruits that you see there is thievery. You see corruption. You see, uh, you see business practices. You know, and it starts with small things, and you start to see it more and more. They start cheating. They're not paying their taxes. They're stealing for money from here. They're, they're rounding down on, on the bills, and they're rounding up on the receipts. You guys with me? I've seen it. I've seen it. Not here, praise God. But I've seen it other places. My first type of counterfeit Christians is the swindlers. Watch out for them. They often talk in whispers. That's the one thing I've learned about swindlers, is they'll never talk from the pulpit. They'll always talk from the back pew, and they'll tell you all the things. I, I was in this city. I was caught before by a person who stopped me in a hallway and started telling me that everything that was being preached from the pulpit was wrong and started trying to sell me books, started trying to tell me about this course, started telling me about all this kind of stuff. Not in this church, but it was there was people that were walking in the back halls trying to talk to people about something completely opposite from what was being preached at the pulpit. And what was at the pulpit was good. I'm just calling it out as I see it, Pastor Luke. I preach once a month, so I got to put it all in. Just kidding. All right, my first one I want to get into, my second one I want to get into, sorry, correction. Second one, legalists is a form of a counterfeit Christianity. Now, I'm not talking about legalists to people that we have doctrinal differences in, okay? I'm not going to say, well, that church is a little bit more legalistic, therefore everyone there is a counterfeit Christian. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, is that there are people who profess to be Christians, who go to church on Sundays, they always will use the line, like, I'll pray for you whenever they hear anything. We know they're not praying for nobody, okay? These people are operating only for tradition and religion. There is no relationship with Christ. There is no growth. There is no fruits. These are modern-day Pharisees, modern-day Sadducees. They are obsessed with looking like everything's together, but at the end of the day, they have zero relationship with God. They are not filled with the Spirit. It is empty religion, old traditions. It is a checking off of ritualistic boxes as a self-righteous habit on a Sunday. It's a legalism. And the problem with the counterfeit Christianity is that there is no fruits. And what happens is, is that the only thing that comes out of a legalistic person is more legalistic people. And they don't have relationships with Christ. They don't understand that there can be, that there's better things for them. They don't understand that they, that, that they, they're not reading the Bible on their own and realizing that the Bible says that they can have a direct and personal relationship with God the Father, that they can ask God 
for things with boldness because it is their father who loves them. You know, what father, when their son asks for bread, does he give them a stone, okay? It's, these are people who basically say, I got to check off a box. I checked off my box and I go back to doing exactly what I was doing. Why is this a problem? I just watched the other day, there was an interview of a person and the guy asked this girl, he said, are you a Christian? She says, yeah, I'm a Christian. He goes, well, well do, you, do you believe what the Bible says? And she goes, I don't really know. <laughs> and it's like, what are you, what are you talking about? You, you don't have any understanding. You don't have any relationship. I've not only seen this in the church, in Christianity, I've also seen this heavily when I was living in an Islamic part of Africa. When I asked Muslim people, why are you Muslim? And they go, because my dad was a Muslim. I'm telling you. I had a, I've, I've, Elva, how many times have we had that conversation? You know, you see them, you don't even know that they're Muslim, and then on Friday you see them on the streets, and they're going down to their, their mosque, and they've got the whole thing on, and I'm like, I saw you yesterday in jeans, like, over going to the nightclub, you know? And they go, ah, I'm only, I'm, only, I'm not really practicing, I just, I don't really, some, I only poke sometimes, da, 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 da. and you go, listen, if you're going to be that, then you better be that. <laughs> don't tell me you're only going to be that some of the time. But listen, that's not just a criticism of that. We have that in this church, not in this church, but we have that in this church in Canada, in, in North America, where people just say, I'm just going to go to church on Sunday because that's what I did when I was growing up. That's what my kids are going to do. That's what my dad did. But then you start to ask them hard questions about Christianity. You start to ask them about the relationship with Christ. You start to ask them if you can sit down and pray with them. And they've got no desire to do anything. Just come in, pay my dues, and go home. And, uh, you know, we see it that the Pharisees and Sadducees consisted of both empty religion, also even financial fraud. Jesus addressed both types of counterfeit Christians in Matthew 23, verse 25 to 28. And this is hard, but this is Jesus, so don't get mad at me. So what did he write? He says, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites! You're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're filthy. You're full of greed, self-indulgence. You're a blind Pharisee. Wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and the outside will be clean too. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religion, uh, uh, law, religious law, you Pharisees, hypocrites. He says it twice. That's harsh. For you are like whitewashed tombs. You're beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look righteous, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, I'm going to say it again. There are all of us here, the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I'm not talking about the righteous man who, though he stumbles seven times, he rises up again. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the person who has to go into repentance. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the person who has the conviction of the Spirit completely seared off. And for them, this is equal to just going to the Legion on the Friday night for the mess meeting. Okay? This is just equal to going to the boys club on Saturday mornings for their golf meeting. This is just a Sunday morning. It has absolutely nothing to do with worship, nothing to do with relationships and everything to do with how they appear to everybody else around them. And what's the easiest way to see that? That there is a lack of love operating in their life. The number one way I've always seen it. What does the Bible say? John 13. By this they shall know you are mine for the love that you have one for another is the number one thing we see. And we see this when we have a legalistic society, legalistic people who go to church, they don't have the love of God in them, they're not loving other people, they don't want to serve, they don't want to do nothing, they just want to come in, 
Take their time, go home, check off the box, they're righteous for another day. It's not genuine Christianity. By this, the world will know you are mine by the love you have one for another. The love we have for one another is a witness and a testimony about the love that Christ has for us. This even goes on, we even see this in marriage, where, it's, where it says, men, love your wives as I love the church. You see what I'm saying? So much so that you would die for it. That we constantly see that our greatest testimony, our greatest witness, is not in how good our, 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 our repentance, uh, our coming to Jesus' salvation testimony is. It's not on how good we go to church. It's not on how good we know the message. It's not on how nice we sing the worship songs. The number one witness and number one testimony that we have as a church to the world is how we operate in love, Great, mostly firstly, with one for another, and then also for love for the people around us. The number one testimony. Oh, I was addicted to this, I was addicted to that, and then I got, praise God, I'm happy for you. Oh, you know, I was this, I was that. Praise God, that's great testimony. Oh, you know, I can do this, I can do that, I preach, I do this. Great, that's amazing. But do you love other people? Because the Bible says that the greatest of these is love. Are you with me, church? And when we see, and why is the counterfeit of legalism so damaging? Is because it is religion without love. And religion without love is work. And work without relationship is slavery. And slavery doesn't sound like freedom. So when you tell someone that who the sun sets free is free indeed, but they are in bondage to slavery of works, they go, the Bible's a contradiction. I don't know what relationship is. I don't know what religion is. I'm just wasting my time. I'm just checking off boxes. There's no value in what I'm doing. So what's even the point? Am I with me? Our first one, swindlers. Watch out for the people who are trying to take your wallets and trying to hide in the pews and trying to make deals. Second one, legalists. Is love operating out of the people that are around us? Or is it just going to church to check off a box? And the last one I want to talk about, not that there's only three, but the last one I really want to talk about is spiritual feelers. <laughs> this is my favorite one. Spiritual feelers. Okay? Now, you'll know these people because they will say things like, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Okay? They'll go to church, and then they'll say things like, I don't like how that church made me feel. Or, I don't feel the Spirit moving here. Or, I don't feel the presence of God here. Or, I don't feel this. Or, I feel that you need to change this. Or, I feel, feel, feel. The thing I've learned about feelings is that feelings are excellent followers, but they are terrible leaders. Are you with me? Why do we talk about the difference between happiness and joy? Because joy is a fruit that produces ex, uh, uh, disregarding the things around it, whereas happiness is 100% attached to what's going on in that moment. Happiness is a feeling, but joy is the joy of the Lord is my strength. Feelings are not strengths. You know, we talk about double-mindedness. Well, what comes with double-mindedness? Double-mindedness happens when your feelings start to get into the way of the truth. Why? Because now you don't feel like that truth really is the right truth for you. You know, I love what St. Augustine said. He said one time, I believe it was St. Augustine. If I'm wrong, he's dead. So don't sue me, right? He's dead. I'll, I'll correct myself later. I'm humble. But he said, if you take the things out of the Bible 
that if you believe the things in the Bible you agree with and you don't believe in the things that you don't agree with, it's not the Bible you believe in, it's yourself. And there's something about feelings that I always hear it, you know, and, and, and they, they will say, they, they substitute, they, they, they will always be only about prayer, but they have apps, they're completely illiterate to what the Word of God says. They love spending time in, in worship. They love spending time in the stuff that makes you feel good. They love spending time in, in these, you know, communications and times talking to one another. And they say stuff that sounds very prophetic, like, I really feel like you should do this. I feel like you should do that. But if the spirit of truth, and if they're not in the word of God is there, they don't know if what they're feeling is a spirit of discernment from the Holy Spirit, or if it's just the nachos that they had an hour and a half ago. Are you with me, church? People come in and say, I didn't really feel like, well, I don't really care how you feel because the Bible tells me that I've been filled with the Spirit. So if you try to tell me, oh, the Spirit's not in this place. Well, guess what, buddy? I'm in this place and the Holy Spirit is activated within me and I don't need to know whether you felt it for me to know that the Spirit is active. I don't, if someone comes to me and says, I didn't feel it. Well, buddy, check yourself before you wreck yourself because it sounds to me like your feelings have a grander position in your life than the spirit of truth. Are you with me? Now, I've been times when I go, there's something off here. And you know why? I, I, you know how I know? is because it shouldn't feel that way. It's usually like, I'm happy. It's not too bad. Everything's all right. But something starts getting said, and then something else starts getting said. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm not comfortable here. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I wish I was comfortable, but I'm not. And all of a sudden, I go, this isn't my feelings. This is a spirit of discernment that something's happening here that is not making me comfortable. I wish I was, but I'm not. Why? Because the spirit of discernment is talking. But it's not a feeling. If I was going by my feelings, I would just snuggle in because I'm comfy. Are you with me? Oftentimes, feelings and the spirit of discernment that are operating are completely separated different directions. When God told me to sell my house and go to Africa, I wasn't feeling like selling my house, quitting my job, and trusting God for finances. That's not how I was feeling. But when I went to work, and I was making good money, and I had good jobs, and I had a good boss, and I had good benefits, I had a spirit of discernment that said, you're not supposed to be here. My feelings were, it's pretty good. My discernment was, the spirit of truth inside of me was, this isn't where you're supposed to be. Feelings and discernment oftentimes butt heads. But when sometimes what happens is, is that spiritual feelers who are filled with a whole bunch of spirits, but usually not the Holy Spirit, are filled with a whole bunch of stuff, they're going to tell you that the feelings they have is Holy Spirit. Well, guess what? That's the spirit of pride. And the spirit of pride says, I'm going to tell you what God says. Are you with me? You know, I love it that, that the Bible says that the devil is the prince of the air. Well, if the devil is the prince of the air, then sometimes every time we feel wind doesn't necessarily mean we got to turn around. It might just be something blowing. But it doesn't say that God is the king of the air. It says that he is, that Jesus is our chief cornerstone. It says that he is our firm foundation. Do you know what that means? It means that I can take how I feel and go look in the Bible and I can look on the foundation and say, wow, does this line up with how I feel? Because if how I feel doesn't match up with how the Bible is, the Bible doesn't have an issue, I have an issue. 
So maybe I just have my own feelings that are wrong, and maybe I need to stop trusting in my own flesh and start trusting in the Spirit about my situation. The presence of God isn't here. Maybe the presence of God isn't active in your life because of the things that you're doing. But don't come into the house of the Lord and try to tell everybody around you, I'm leaving because God left a long time ago. My friends, I was in, I preached a message in Africa, in Uganda. I'll never forget it. Things had gotten so bad when I was living in Uganda. I was in fights. I fired a bishop because he was stealing money. And he was so crooked. He was so corrupt. And I was trying to pull this church out from the brink. And I was trying to pull these people out. I was finally getting people to come back. I was paying off all the debt that this church had ran up, full of crooked people. And I'm trying to love people again. I'm not even taking any money from the church. Whatever salary they were trying to give me, I was putting back into the church. And I remember this guy wanted to get the church back from me because finally the church was making money again. The debt was gone. Now he wanted to take it back over. So he went and he got himself a bunch of locals, drunks, to come and cause big ruckuses in the church, start coming in, causing problems. He started going to the government, having corrupt people send me letters talking about getting me kicked out of the country. It got so bad to the point I had to hire an armed guard to stand at the gate with a machine gun and basically stand there and welcome everybody to church just to let them know if things go bad, I win, okay? And, and he had to stand there. And I remember, I remember the new supervisor took over the security company, new supervisor, and he came to me and he said, Mike, why do you have a machine gun at your church? I go, because we're warring with demons. And sometimes demons recognize the AK-47 before they recognize the word of truth, okay? And, and so I was like, that's what I did. And he goes, he goes, what? and so I told this supervisor of the security company what was going on. Do you know what he started doing? He started coming to my church, and he would wear a suit, and he would come in with four or five of his managers, and they would wear suits. And then it's halfway through the service, I'd be sitting there preaching, and he would go like this with his, his jacket and show me he's got a gun just in case anything goes on. So I'm preaching, and I'm trying to preach, and I got four or five suits in there with guns just littered out throughout the thing. And I'm like feeling convicted, like I've, I've lost the plot. I've got people with guns in my service, you know. And I remember I preached this message, and it was one of the hardest messages ever. I was preaching about trusting God. I was preaching about Jericho. I was preaching about Rahab. I was preaching about a whole bunch of really just interesting stuff that had to kind of do with what we were going through as a church. And I remember I finished the service. The choir got up there, and I sat down. I thought to myself, the presence of God wasn't here today. Whole bunch of guns, whole bunch of drama whole bunch of conflict. I'm just trying to preach it through. I'm distracted. People are showing me their Glock 45s halfway through service. I'm trying to preach, right? And I remember I was like, uh, wasn't, wasn't on today. Wasn't a home run, Pastor Luke. Wasn't a good one, you know, whatever. And whenever I would finish the service, I would go to the back door and I would try to greet everyone before they left. I always try to shake their hands. I wanted to know I was there for them. I wasn't there for the pulpit. I was there for the people. And I would go to the back. I'd shake everybody's hand. And the first guy came up to me was, that was a powerful word, Pastor. I needed that today. It spoke to my heart. And the next person came and said, my gosh, Pastor, that's, that, that, I've never learned that like that before. And the next time, almost every single person came. Thank you for the word, Pastor. It touched my life. Thank you for the word. And all of a sudden, I, I was sitting there thinking to myself, what are you talking about? You guys just like me way too much for what level of preaching that was. And I remember God told me very loudly in my van when I was driving home. He said, you are not the arbiter as to when I get to move through the giftings I gave you. 
you are not in charge of what lives I get to speak into based on how you feel. Because you want to know something? I felt like garbage. I felt like a failure. I felt like everything that I was trying to rescue was falling down around me. I felt there was people in there that wanted me gone. I felt, I felt, I felt. But you know what? God did not care about how I felt because I was at the pulpit speaking what the Bible said. And because people were listening to what the Bible said, they weren't touched by how I felt. They were touched by the spirit of truth that was acting in their life. People say, follow your heart. Just follow your heart. The, the heart is deceitful above everything. The heart is wicked. Who can even understand it? From the heart flows every kind of wickedness. This says, what does it say? In Jeremiah 17, 5, cursed is the man who trusts in his flesh. Verse 7, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Verse 9, why? Because the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Don't trust in your heart. Your heart is part of the flesh, and the flesh is dying, and the flesh has failed. Trust in what the Bible says. I don't care how my heart feels. Listen to your heart, because it's calling for you. No. Listen to the Lord. Listen to Jesus. Listen to what the word of God said. Because that is calling for you to go where you're going. That is the word of truth. Christ is the cornerstone. God is our firm foundation. It says that one man cometh and layeth another and he builds upon it. But what do we build upon? We build upon the foundation, which is Christ Jesus. You know what you don't get in a foundation? A lot of feelings. If you're on a foundation and it's constantly feeling something, you got a bad issue with your foundation. When I stand on the rock of truth, when I stand on my firm foundation, I'm not wondering how, which way I'm feeling because chances are if I'm feeling something, it's the prince of the air coming. But I'm looking on the foundation going, what am I, what am I rooted in? What is my standing on? What is my firm foundation? And when you ask these people, well, I don't really feel like God wants us to do this. Well, the Bible says he does. And I don't care how you feel about that, because last time I checked, you are not the God. You are not the Lord. You are not the King of Kings. You are not my rock. You are not my foundation. You are not my cornerstone. You are my, my refuge in times of difficulty. Are you with me, church? But there are spiritual feelers who try to take all of their feeling and tell you that it is what God is doing. And I'm telling you, church, if what they are feeling does not line up with what God is saying in the word of truth, then that person's feelings can go fly a kite. Are you with me, church? You're not the arbiter of what gets to happen in this place. I've had people come up to me and say, I didn't feel the presence of God today. I'm sorry for you. Are you with me? I did not feel it today. Okay, well, go feel better and let me know when you feel like you're ready to hear what God wants to do in your life. You know something? I could preach a whole bunch of nonsense, but if you come in with a spirit of faith activating your life and you come into the house of the Lord and you say, Jesus, God, what do you have for me today? What are you going to do for me today? I could preach you know, three words a minute, put everybody to sleep. If you come in with a heart of expectation, God, I need you to speak to something in my life. He will take the garbage and the junk and the trash and all of my human failures. And you can sit there and listen to it and go, God is telling me something about something. But if you go, I don't feel like he preached enough for God to speak to my, you're giving me way too much credit and you're giving yourself way too much credit because you think that me and you have anything to do with it. Are you with me, church? 
There's three types of counterfeits. There's the swindlers. They want your money. There's the legalists. They want you to think they're looking good, as long as they're checking off boxes. They look real good on the outside, but on the inside, disaster. And then there's the spiritual feelers. I don't feel the spirit. I don't feel his presence. I don't feel like the pastor was on the point today. Feelings are like the wind. They come and go. They change here and there. But as Christians, God does not tell us to just go based on how we feel. He tells us to stand on the foundation of the word of God, believing in Christ, the cornerstone, Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. This is not to say we don't follow the urgings of the Spirit because there is a gift of discernment. But the gift of discernment is often not so much what God is telling us about somebody else, but the gift of discernment is also is often what is going contrary to the feelings that we have. The gift of discernment has to operate first in your own life before you can start discerning what's going on in somebody else's life. The greatest discernment required is the discernment to ask yourself, is this against my feelings or is this just how I feel about this person? A counterfeit unit within a system brings down the value of the entire system. Matthew 7 tells us we can identify the truth by, we can identify the Christians by their fruit. When a counterfeit goes around producing no fruits, or it produces rotten fruits like thorns. It puts out a bad name for every Christian in the area, in the church. Why do you think Jesus was so forgiving and gracious with sinners, but so critical of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Because the Sadducees and Pharisees were hurting the value of the Christians and, the, and his followers, and those who were actually trying to grow the church instead of fleecing it. A person who doesn't know what a real Christian looks like or acts like is not going to know the difference between that which is a true representation and follower of Christ Jesus and a person who just calls himself a Christian on their Twitter account. A bank does not study the counterfeit. It only studies the real thing. And as such, us as Christians should not be looking and studying and putting all of our time on what are the counterfeits, but rather our greatest test of the counterfeit is to be studying on Christ Jesus. And I'm going to close with this. What is the mark of the true Christian? This is written in Romans 12. I just did a Bible study with some of our guys. On our, I have a signal chat with some of our guys in the church and around North America. If you want to be in that signal chat, come talk to me. I'd love to add you. We encourage each other. We do devotions. And one of the, one of the verses, I'm going to read this. We're going to close. In Romans 12, the translator ascribed to the top of these verses, the marks of the true Christian. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saint and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them, don't curse them. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing and weep with those who are weeping. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty. But associate with the lonely. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of everyone. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live with peace with everyone. Beloved, don't avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. 
To the contrary, if you're hungry, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Church, the Lord has called us to be a royal priesthood. Everything that we just said there are things that we don't feel to do. We want to feel like we want to repay evil for evil. We don't feel like giving food to our enemies. We don't feel like being fervent in zeal and the spirit. We don't feel like praying constantly. We don't feel, we don't feel, we don't feel. We can just check a box. But the marks of the true Christian, Romans 12, is your love genuine? Do you hate what God hates? Do you love what God loves? Do you hold fast to those things that are good? Do you outdo one another in showing honor? These are the things. These are the marks of the true Christian. This is how we know what is counterfeit. Because this is what is genuine. This is what Jesus is. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. Father God, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the people here represented, God. We thank you that we are not counterfeits, God. We thank you that you are our firm foundation. We thank you that we don't come here saying, what can I get for me? But rather we have come to the house of the Lord to worship you, that we might become more like you, not that we might try to make you more like us, Lord. We thank you that we want to get deeper into your word. We want to know your heart. We want to know your spirit. We want that gift of discernment to be so operational in our life that we don't say, is this how I'm feeling? But rather we know, Lord, this is how you would be leading me, God. We don't want to be looking in the parts of the Bible that make us feel bad and then trying to change them and trying to change it to be more relevant to other people, but rather we want to be real more than we want to be relevant. Lord, may you constantly keep within us the vision. May we constantly head forth, Lord, as, as, you, as your word says, that we chase after the prize, that we run after the prize, which is you, Christ Jesus, throwing off everything else. Lord, we thank you that we are patient in tribulation, that we have hope for a better tomorrow, that we hold fast to what is good, that we hate what you hate. We abhor evil, Lord. We thank you that we're not here to check a box, but we're here to become more like you, that we're not going to rely on how, I, um, how we feel because your word says that the righteous man is like the tree that is planted by the river whose roots go down, who has health and even times of drought. Lord, we thank you that we are not cursed, but that we are blessed, that we live righteously, that we live with our roots found deep, deep into the rivers of life. That we are not like the double-minded man who is tossed in every direction by every wind of doctrine, but we hold fast to that pure and perfect word of truth which you've given us, Lord. We thank you that we become more and more like you every day. We ask you, we ask you to show us opportunities to love one another going forward this long weekend, this week. We thank you that the world will know the love you have by the love we have one for another. Lord, burst within us a greater love for those ones around us, especially for those who are brothers and sisters in the faith. We ask for a special blessing for each of the families here, Lord. May we never be seen as counterfeits, but may we always be seen as genuine, authentic followers of Christ. As Romans 12 says, may we be seen as having the marks of the true Christian. May our life be overflowing with fruit that everyone around us will know who you are, what you did for them those 2,000 years, and that they can have a personal relationship with you. 
We give you the glory, the honor, the praise. And everybody said, amen. If you want prayer, we'll have people up here. Otherwise, get your children and have an amazing long weekend. Good afternoon. Welcome to the After 9 show. My name is Sarah Quinlan and I'm here today to talk to you guys about some things that we got out of the message today. So we have Pastor Brian Travell who will be joining us in just a moment. But if you're new here, if this is your first time tuning into Inspiration 9 Church or you just for the very first time stuck around for the After 9 show, basically what we do is we reenact what it would have been like if you were to have been in service with us today and you would have been having social hour, social time with your friends after service. So that's what we're here today. We're going to share some things that are on our hearts, things that we took out of the message, things that stood out to us in the service, and just kind of talk about that uh, in a little bit more detail. So let's bring in Pastors Brian Travail. Hey. Hey. How's it going? How are you? So if you, I was just explaining what the After Nine show is all about. I didn't know that. In its glory. Um, but Pastor Brian Travail does the pre-show. So you'll normally, if you, if you were here the whole time, you would have seen him at the beginning. And now you're seeing us now here. Yeah. So, Pastor Brian, we had talked about counterfeit today. Pastor Michael Quinlan preached it. Yes, that so, was a very interesting message, to say yeah, the least. Yeah. So, you know, they were talking about reasons why counterfeits go to church. And then you've got the swindlers, you've got the legalists, and you've got the um, feeler. Feel good. They go to feel good. Feel good. Yeah, but yeah. there was two words. Seeking feelings or something like Se that? Feeling seekers? Oh feeling seekers. Yeah, feeling seekers. Feeling seekers. Yes. Sorry, Pastor feeling Michael. Feeling good, yeah. Just heard it. So yeah, you got your swindlers, legalists, and feeling seekers, which are like the feel goods. So what was something that stood out for you today, Pastor Brian? You well, kind of well, talked was a, a little there bit. There a few it. things. Um, yeah. You know, I think uh, what he kind of hit on was the counterfeits are trying to fit God into their perspective. Yeah. Or into their box, maybe. And okay. I mean, I think we all can be, and, and there's a difference because I think at times we all try to fit God into our understanding yeah. uh, rather than just going into the deep end all the time. Yeah. But he's talking about somebody that has a motive to bring people into their kind of a herd, yeah. I guess. Okay. And uh, I think there's, uh, there's, there's something built in each and every one of us that we want to be around people that approve of us, like us, yeah. Um, and we can have that in a healthy way, or it can be an unhealthy way, right. which is, I think, is where he was talking about. So if somebody's kind of bringing you in to their way of thinking, but not recognizing that you have a way of thinking, mm -hmm. or possibly uh, bringing you a way of thinking that doesn't necessarily line up to what you might be hearing in the yeah. message of the day, yeah. You know, he talked about people going around kind of trying to persuade people after the message and in the hallways and whispering. And it's always done in secret, right? Yeah. And uh, God is not about secrecy as, no. as much as he is about doing things openly and honestly. That's right. And it kind of reminds me of that story in the Bible. I, I'm not a reference girl. I'm not good at it. But uh, I believe it was, was it King Ahab who had surrounded himself with just prophets that would agree with him? Was that yes. King Ahab? Um, and then when he had the prophet that stood up and said, no, like everyone's wrong. This is what's going to happen. He didn't go well. Didn't go well. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, you know, sometimes it's good to have people in our lives that challenge us to be better, to read the word more. Like Pastor Michael was saying, like, don't just 100 percent operate on your feelings. But what does the word of God say? Yeah. You know, how is your and he even touched on discernment today, which I thought was really good. Yes. Because he, you know, tapped into the fact that if you have that 
word, that foundational word of God, if you have that relationship with the Holy Spirit, discernment's bound to follow, right? And, and boy, you know what? You just said something very, very important because uh, healthy churches, healthy teams, healthy relationships have to work through conflict yeah. and, and disagreement. And yeah. uh, if there, first of all, if there is no disagreement, it means we're not being challenged, right? right? Yeah. So uh, in order for us to grow, we have to be challenged mm -hmm. uh, to change, yes. right? So the the counterfeit doesn't want to change. They want to stay comfortable. Yep. And that's another thing he brought out uh, is that change will actually make us feel very uncomfortable and seem very unnatural yeah. when we first encounter it. Yep. Right. Yep. And uh, it's so, so important to understand that just because I don't feel good doesn't mean it's not good. Yeah. You know, God often brings things in. And I mean, I'm just speaking for myself. Yep. He's brought things into my life that didn't really line up with my vision or how I thought it would work. Right. right. But yet it worked for the better me. And that's what Romans 8 28 says that he was working all things for the good of those who loved him mm -hmm. called according to his riches and glory that's right so if god's called us to do something or to change something in us yeah it may not always feel that great yeah and pastor brian correct me if i'm wrong but i think that this has like a degree of emotional health involved as Absolutely. well because the only way you're going to be able to know where your feelings are really like logically spiritually is if you are aware of your feelings and which leads, you know, that's that we don't want to talk about emotional health. Yeah. If I'm feeling down and feeling hopeless, I'm giving up hope. Yeah. Right. But, uh, you know, the word of God always inspires hope. Yeah. And awesome. the, um, the, the counterfeit will actually try to steal hope. Right. Right. Yeah. So anything that's not producing peace, anything that produces confusion instead of peace, right. anything that uh, produces helplessness instead of hope and yeah. you know that's not a God right and that's that's uh, really something we need to learn that God is not somebody that goes around mm -hmm. condemning and piling things on us yeah. in, a, in a mean un, you know nasty kind of way he's always prompting us in a loving gentle way yeah. to step you know to the left or to the right but right. it's always a positive change yes and he does it very gently and lovingly yeah I think that's really good. And um, one more thing too, like we were talking about legalism a little bit. Pastor Michael brought that up today. And that was something that like as a child, I maybe more like a teenager, I had always kind of fallen into this category where it was like, I, I would miss reading my Bible one day and I'd be like, oh, oh you're going to go to another place. Yeah. But you know what? So something that really stood out to me in my years of learning, I don't know if it was Pastor Rick that taught me this and I'm going to try not to mess it up. So I said, legalism is the law without love mm. and lawlessness is love without the law oh that's good i think it was pastor rick that yeah. sounds like pastor that rick. sounds like pastor rick, but that's something sure. i always took away from that because how am i living in my relationship with god how am i contributing to my church how am i and pastor michael touched on love today oh did right? he ever where Oops. are the fruits you know yeah. where where's the humility of the heart and so if you're living this life and you're like living with this legalistic me mentality or approach like there's no love there's no god in that and boy that is like the love of god is how they'll know us yes their love of one another is how they'll know us yes the love of God will always build up and respect the leadership yeah. in a church, yeah. uh, the structure in a church. Mm -hmm. um, the legalist will try to find faults yes. and write them Critic. off. Right? Yes. Yep. And I think that's I think that's a great point too, Pastor Brian, because if you know our our church and our team and you know our, our 
people that are leading here, um, you know that they're always open to conversation. Absolutely. Doesn't right? mean they're perfect either, no, right? Like, they're not perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. They'll be the first ones to tell you that they're not perfect, right. but they're there to have conversation. If there's something that you heard on a Sunday yeah. or a Monday or whenever, and you don't necessarily agree or you don't know, like I encourage you, go have a conversation with them because they, I will tell you, they will say, well, this is what the Bible says. And yeah. this is what I said. So if you didn't agree, then go read it for yourself. Right. Yeah. But, um, that's the most important thing. It's always yes. going to line up to the word. Yes. The spirit of God always lines up to the word. of God. Absolutely. And Not I have a hundred percent trust in my, my pastors that everything they say comes from God's word. Like I do mm -hmm. the notes on Sunday mornings. I do the notes <laughs> I have all the time. I say to pastor Brian and pastor Brian, like so many scriptures, there has to be so many scriptures, but it's, it's good. It's, it's, it's true. necessary. Yes. It's not so much what we say. It's what the word says yes. that is going to change lives. Absolutely. Right. And that's what we're here for, right? The word Absolutely. of God changes us, challenges us, you know, encourages us provokes to grow, us. provokes us, stirs us up, doesn't always make us feel super comfortable. No. Uh, I heard a quote by Dave Ramsey. I'm going to probably butcher it. So I'll just paraphrase, but he's talking about uh, stress. And if you're in a situation where your life, you feel like you're under stress, that stress is going to cause atrophy. That's going to increase strength. If you're always in a place of comfort, you're never going to grow. That's awesome. that's that's pretty uh, interesting because, like my understanding of uh, stress is it's always caused by fear. Okay. Right. Yeah. So in in it, yeah. put it in that perspective. Yeah. If I'm not going to overcome my fear, I'm going to remain in stress. Yeah. So the very thing that actually gets us out of fear is the stress that gets us to recognize it. Yeah. Which is pain. Yep. So it's actually really pain or stress that causes us to identify. Yeah an area where I might be, you know, of not of the right That's understanding. That's really good. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So but in only, you're I, right. I have to take steps now. In order to overcome that fear, yeah. that stress. I have to grow through you it. You have to grow through it. And yeah. then things that may not, like when I was younger, if you'd have said to me, oh, sorry, we have 40 seconds. Okay. When I was younger, if you would have told me, Sarah, go set up a camera, I would have hey, been Pastor freaked Michael out. Pastor Michael Quinlan ran over. Why can't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to do that. No, we wouldn't. <laughs> anyway, well, that was... I feel like we have part B that we could have kept going on, but that Absolutely. was that no, was a really great message today. Um, we were really encouraged. We were challenged, you know, um, encouraged to grow, encouraged to learn, encouraged to read our word. Do you have anything in closing, Pastor Brian? No, I just think it's important to understand that, you know, if uh, if you're not feeling comfortable by what somebody says or whatever, look at, you know, he said, I got to look inside me. Yeah. If, if I'm reacting to something or somebody, uh, is it them or is it me? Yep. Usually it's in us. Yes. Yep. And I found that with anger, man, when I'm angry with somebody, it's angry with me that comes out yep. on them. Yep, exactly. Um, okay. Well, w I feel like there's still a lot to say, but that was what this message brought out. A lot of things that we could discuss and talk more about. So if you want to join us and actually have a conversation with us, come to church next time. We can talk about it more. <laughs> but we hope you have the best Sunday ever. Just a reminder, we will not be meeting tomorrow. Canada weekend too. It's Canada Day weekend. Happy birthday, Canada. We will not be meeting here tomorrow. Uh, or not here. Oh my gosh. Lighthouse, Lighthouse is canceled. Enjoy your families. Enjoy your nation. But there is prayer on uh, at prayer. We will be having prayer on Wednesday, July 5th at 630 here at the Serbian Center. Everyone's welcome to join. It's only an hour long. Uh, and that's that's all I have. All have right. the best day of your life. <laughs>